Turn this on. We're going to uh, dive in and begin with a word of prayer. There are some extra chairs here if, if we need those. There's one right here, here by me if you're, if you're not shy. Yeah, that's for Jim. I know. That's that's Jim's seat right there. Whoever brings it. I have the sofa. There's my Bible. Whoever, whoever brings the oh. snacks has to sit right there. So. Speaking of of uh, of snacks, if if you are willing to bring snacks, uh, Preston, you have a, a list out. If people guys can sign up, Preston will find a piece of paper or something. But it, it is nice to have a little something. And Preston makes the coffee. Thanks for that. That's a, an essential. But uh, if you're willing to bring snacks one week, sign up there, and uh, he'll get that going. Let's just begin with a word of prayer, and we'll dive into the word. <clears throat> Lord God, what a privilege it is to, to come together as men and uh, talk about things that truly matter and uh, to, to focus our hearts and our minds on the truth of Scripture. Now, we confess that we need your help this morning. We always need your help when we come to the Word to understand it, to apply it correctly. But especially as we continue talking about matters of, of purity and sexual purity and desiring to be men who, who are known and characterized by, by genuine purity, by Christ's likeness in our, our minds, in our speech, in, in our actions. And we know that uh, just as men in general who are battling the flesh and in a sinful world in which we live, if this is going to be a characterization of who we are, we're going to need your help. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us by the power of the Spirit to understand the Word and to apply it today. And may we not only be men of purity in our own lives, but be able to lead others uh, to follow in the same example. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you're new to the group, we have been uh, kind of in a larger series on leadership, what it means to be a godly man in general. But for the last several lessons, we've been talking about a passion for purity. It's my desire to and hope to finish that this morning. This will be the fifth lesson on that topic uh, we could go into more detail, but I think after today you'll you'll have enough information between the five to really create a plan for for victory by God's grace over this sin. And my hope is is that this would be obviously a resource for us individually, but also something that you might be able to use with other men as you meet men that are struggling. Uh, that maybe confess a, a struggle with some kind of sexual sin, uh, walk back through this series with them and say, hey, let's listen to these and discuss these, but just as a resource for, for going forward in our church uh, because this is not an issue that's going away by any means. So we, we've dealt with several things. We've talked about what's God's standard for purity. We've looked at the command for purity. We've talked about the war that we're in in this sinful war, uh, world, the battle for mm -hmm. purity. And then last time we started talking about walking in purity. How do we put all this together and take the truth that we know and translate that into actually living as godly men who are pure? And to do that, I've kind of framed it around three directives, uh, three commands. Kill sin at all costs. We looked at that last time. Put on the new man. We, we sort of introduced that last time, and that's where we'll pick up this time. And then walk in wisdom. So kill sin at all costs, put on the new man, and walk in wisdom. I'm just going to really briefly give you the highlights of that first directive so that we're in the flow of the context, and then we'll dive into the second. So we began with that first directive, kill sin at all costs. 
And we talked about some requirements, some things that are going to have to be true of us if we're going to actually do that. The first one is to get rid of every obstacle. And we, I won't read it now, but you can write down Matthew 5, 27 to 30. That's the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We talked about being, being radical with our sin in the sense that if, if we really want to kill it, we have to be willing to get rid of anything that is continually tempting us to sin, whether that be uh, a smartphone or, or internet access for a time, or at very minimum, locking down our, our access to certain things. And we talked about those kinds of things. Uh, the second requirement to kill sin at all costs is to, to give our maximum effort. Uh, we, we can't be spiritual couch potatoes and just think that we sit around and that God just magically sanctifies us. It is true that the sanctification is a work of the Spirit. We're desperately in need of the Spirit's work to be sanctified. But the Bible is clear that, that sanctification does require our maximum effort. I will read this text to you in uh, Philippians <clears throat> chapter 2, um, going down to verse 12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He gives this command, work out your salvation. That is, you've got to give your maximum effort. Uh, uh, you, you, you have got to take true, real steps in your, towards your spiritual development. But why will that have any impact at all? Why will that matter? Why will that bear fruit? It's because of verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The good news about giving our effort towards sanctification is that we're not alone in that battle, that the Holy Spirit is more concerned about your sanctification than you are, and he is at work in you, giving you both the desire to change and actually producing the, the fruit, the work that needs to happen to do that change. So we're giving our maximum effort, but that has effect because the Spirit is also at work within us, empowering us to do that. And I finished that first section with this quote from John Owens. The Holy Spirit is the only sufficient means for the work of mortification, that is, killing sin. All other ways are futile without Him. In vain do men seek other remedies. Vows, fastings, and other efforts of spiritual discipline mean little if the Holy Spirit is not present. And so... It's just, I think that ties it together that we need the Holy Spirit and we need to recognize our dependence upon Him day to day in this battle. Now, that brings us to the question where we, we really introduced last time, which is how? how? How do we go about giving our maximum effort? When we say that you've got to give all you've got towards sanctification day to day, what does that look like? Because I think that's where a lot of our questions come from. We understand we're called to be pure and even that we need to work at it, but what do I do? Um, and so that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. And that brings us to directive number two, which you see on the screen here, put on the new man. Put on the new man. Now, I introduced this last time, but I want to go back through that because uh, it, it's really important that we understand the biblical process of change. How is it that the Bible says we go progressively step by step uh, into into more Christ-likeness? How do we grow into the character of Christ? Now, if you've been with us in Colossians, I spent a whole series on, on this idea, but we're going to go back through it and apply it 
directly to this particular sin and how it works itself out. If you missed this part of Colossians, I encourage you to go back to it because it's just crucial for our growth and sanctification. But the Bible breaks down the the battle with sin into really a three-step process, if you will. And here it is. This, and we'll read the text in just a moment. But the, the process is put off sin, renew your mind with truth, the truth of God's Word, and put on righteousness. Put off sin, renew your mind, and put on righteousness. The text that we'll be looking at for this is in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look there. Colossians and Ephesians uh, are parallel on this issue that they correspond to one another, but Ephesians fleshes it out just a little bit more than Colossians does. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, where Paul writes, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you, here comes the, the process, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So verse 22 has that step one, lay aside the old self. Verse 23 has step two, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, step three, put on the new self. This is what is happening. Paul's idea here is not that this is a one-time event, but that this is now what sanctification looks like. Uh, There is a sense in which, at justification, we put the old nature to death. The old nature is is done and gone away with. We have a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone's in Christ is a new creature. But now what we enter into is this lifelong battle with the flesh, where our new nature is in constant conflict with the flesh, and the way we win that battle... And these little battles that pop up throughout the day is we go back again and we lay aside the old self, renew our mind, and put on the new self. And that that verb, lay aside, is a common verb used for taking off an article of clothing. So taking off a jacket, and I just throw it completely away from you. And so we're going to talk about how that fleshes itself out in in daily life. Now, last time, I introduced this idea of of why this is difficult. Why, the, the process is simple, simple enough. Hopefully you already have it memorized. Why is it so difficult to do it? And we talked about forming habits. We, we as human beings are, are, are wired really for good to build habits, and habits can be very good. We talked about which shoe do you put on first in the morning? What, which leg do you put in first when you put on pants? You probably don't really know because you've built a habit so that you don't have to think about those little things so you can focus your attention on what really matters. That's good. We have these habits that are wonderful, but we also have the ability and capacity to build sinful habits. And so what that means is just as instinctively as putting on your shoes or your pants or shirt, there are certain sin habits that now come really quickly to us. Maybe it's looking with lust, thinking on lustful thoughts, um, whatever it is. But we, we sort of go into those just without even a thought. And that's why you hear people say things like, I, I was just born this way, right? And what they mean is, for as long as I can remember, I've had these desires and I've done these things. And that may be very true. And in one sense, you could say, you're, yeah, you were born that way in the sense that you're born into sin. 
all of us are born in sin. So if you mean I'm a sinner, then yes, we're all born as sinners. But we, we've got to understand this, these sinful habits that need to be changed, and it's going to take time. The process of putting this in place is going to help us form new habits so that when the exact same temptations are presented, we no longer go back into the sinful pattern that we've been in for a long time, but we change that pattern so the same stimulus is given, but I go this way instead of that way. Let's look at this concept more deeply in Ephesians. So I want to look at, Paul gives several examples. I have them listed here. I'm going to read <clears throat> the, the text, and then I want you to tell me what is the sin that Paul is saying we must put off in this particular text. So this is Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, what's the sin we're to put off? Okay, now, in biblically, we know that lying is a sin, but what is the believer positively to be characterized by? As we renew our mind, what should we do instead of lying? Speak, be truth tellers. So, what, if that's who we're to be, then what will that look like, according to Paul, in our daily life, if we put off this sin and put on righteousness? It's right there in verse 25. Yeah, you're going to speak the truth to your neighbor. So it's, there's the whole process right there in one little verse. Kill the sin of lying. Put that off. When the temptation comes to lie, put that off. Renew your mind. I need to be a truth teller and speak the truth to your neighbor. What about verse 26? It says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. What's the sin that we're dealing with there? Anger, anger sinful anger. And, and what, is, what does Paul say it will look like for a person who is seeking to kill their anger and walk in righteousness? <clears throat> Seek to resolve it. Yeah, quickly, before the day, before day's in, right? Yeah, the, the, the idea is quickly, don't keep short accounts. We're, we're not to be these people who are harboring and anger and going to bed and just sort of keeping this angry pattern. But as soon as the temptation to anger is there, go and resolve that um, and do not let it linger. Um, and he says, don't give the devil an opportunity. The idea is the sin of anger, when you harbor anger, it's like this, this seed that produces all sorts of other sins. Where does murder come from? Where are all these, where, well, that sin of anger is burning in the heart. What about number, verse 28? He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. What's the sin to be put off there? Stealing. And, and what does Paul say the outcome will be for a person who has renewed their mind and put on righteousness? They'll earn it. <laughs> yeah, they will earn it and do what with it? Yeah. Give it away. So it's, it's, it's not just, hey, go get a job. It's get a job, and then with the, the money you earn, be generous towards others. So we see a complete change. You used to take what wasn't mine, and now I freely give what I have earned by my own efforts. But that's what it looks like to put on righteousness in that case. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. What is this, the sin that we're putting off there? Slander. Yeah, really sinful speech um, is, is, is kind of the category there. 
And instead of having mouths filled with sinful speech, what will it look like for a person to put on righteousness with their speech? Good reputation. Yeah. What does edification mean? <laughs> yeah, to build up. So not only am I, am I not allowing my mouth to be filled with what would tear down and dishonor God, and as he says in verse 30, grieve the Holy Spirit, I now fill my mouth with what will intentionally, for the need of the moment, that is, I'm, I am intentionally thinking in this situation, this conversation with this person, what would be the best thing I could say that would most edify and build them up towards Christ's likeness? You see the radical transformation. One more, verse 38, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, this one is sort of a smorgasbord of mm-hmm. sins. What are the sins we're putting off here? Bitterness, wrath, wrath, anger, anger clamor, slander. And then what will that look like when we, do, when we put those off in their place? What should we put on? Forgiveness. So you see, this is what we need to be doing in our battle with sin. Now we're talking specifically about sexual sin, but this applies to any kind of sin struggle that you will have. You begin to think, okay, here's what I'm doing that I know is forbidden. I need to renew my mind, bring my mind back to what does the Bible say I should be doing? And then how can I put that, what would it look like for me to actually put that on and then choose in those moments to walk in the righteous pattern and not the sinful pattern. Um, The point of that is to say it is not enough, it's not sufficient in our battle with sin to simply try to stop it, right? And and we, we said this before, but a lot of Christians get really frustrated in their battle with sin because they are legitimately, honestly trying. Like they are putting forth effort, but their effort consists of don't do that. Don't look at that. Don't think that. You know, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't do this. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's what they do all day long. They never make any progress. They just get frustrated. And that's because they're only doing the first step of the process. They're trying to put off, but that's never actually being replaced by renewing their mind with truth and then walking in the new pattern. And so let's talk about this in a little more detail. <clears throat> I mentioned Jay Adams last time. Jay Adams has is passed away, but was a very gifted biblical counselor and kind of the, the father, if you will, of the modern biblical counseling movement of really using Scripture as the sole uh, authority for, for counseling. And he's taken this process and kind of expanded it a little bit, not, not adding to the biblical process, but helping to explain it and put it in some steps that can help us apply it. And so I want to show this to you. This is why I put a PowerPoint together because it's uh, quite a few steps and I didn't want to lose you. But this is a great example of what we ought to be doing in our own lives. And this is something that's helpful when you're helping somebody else, when you seek to disciple another believer. So let's talk about this. All, all this is, is helping us put into practice the pattern we just looked at. But he has seven steps here. The first one is becoming aware of the practice that must be put off or the habit or the practice. And again, this applies to all kinds of of sin. But what we mean by that is not just, okay, my habit is lust. It's beyond that. It's okay, what, I want you to think about that and how does it manifest itself? You know, are there particular situations or times of day that you are in that are more tempting than others? Are there patterns, in other words, to when you give into this sin? And begin to really identify what am I, what am I doing? 
um, that is sinful. The more, the more they can begin to understand that, the more that we can begin to understand that, the more specific we can be in what we're putting on and how we're putting it on. So becoming aware of the practice. Secondly, discovering the biblical alternative. So taking some time to search the scriptures. What does the Bible say? I know what I'm doing is wrong. What does the Bible say I should be doing so that I know how to renew my mind? We have to know truth in order to renew our mind with truth. Uh, if you are, are newer to Bible study or, or things like that, some, some helpful tools on finding topically uh, scriptures for what you're dealing with would be a good study Bible. Um, the MacArthur Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, even the NIV Study Bible actually is really, really helpful, the study notes. A good study Bible will have uh, a, a section usually in the back that's topically arranged, and you can look for the particular sin that you're dealing with and find verses on that. Now, you always want to be careful to read the context and make sure you're understanding the verse correctly, but it can be a good step in the right direction. There's also a little book that's designed for counseling, but it's called A Quick Scripture Reference Guide. And um, it is a topically arranged little book that is uh, found to be helpful. Again, check the context. I don't always, sometimes I pull verses. I'm like, ah, I don't think that was the best one. But, but they have, it, it's a good starting place. But you've got to understand, okay, what does the Bible say? <clears throat> and what verses should I be memorizing and meditating on to help me with this sin? Thirdly, Adam says, we, we need to structuring the whole situation for change. Structuring the whole situation for change. That is, this is where we get to that Matthew 5 idea of taking steps. What do we need to cut off, right? What is the right hand or the right eye in this situation that's causing me to sin? And it's really usually more straightforward than we think. If you're struggling with drinking alcohol, stop buying beer. Don't have alcohol in your house. If you're struggling with overeating, stop buying the snacks that you always want to eat late at night. If you're struggling with sexual sin, you know, burn your magazines uh, get accountability software on your computers, perhaps even get rid of, of devices for a time if, if the issue is that severe. But starting to structure the situation of your life for change. Um, we, can't, we can't continually do the, the same things we've been doing and expect to have different results. Number four, breaking links in the chain of sin. This is, this is really important. This is the idea of learning to start the process of change, put off, renew your mind, put on, immediately at the very earliest moment of temptation. You can't, you can't play with temptation all day and sort of flirt with it, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, three hours later, so I got to put off and renew my mind and put on. You, you've already given in to playing with that sin. You have to get a sensitivity to that sin at the very moment that you are tempted towards it in any form, there's an immediate reaction of put off. I've, I've got to cut it at the very moment. As before, you know, sometimes thoughts fly into our minds that are unsolicited, that are ungodly thoughts. Sometimes there's a, there's an image that's there or a person that's that, that's coming by that's that's a temptation or whatever it may be. You've got to get in the habit of the very moment I recognize my fleshly temptation, boom, I hit it right then. I don't allow it to have any uh, headroom to grow. That's what he means here, learning to break the, sin, the link in the chain of sin and not to harbor sin and temptation in any way. Number five, getting help from others. Getting help from others. Involve an accountability partner. Con confess your sin, which is a biblical idea. Confess your sin to one another. 
Um, confess your sin and, and ask for help. And when you do that, when you look for accountability, we'll talk a little bit about this more later, but you're looking for a believer that's more mature than you are, at least in that area where they, they're not, you, you don't need a buddy to come alongside that's just as trapped in the same sin. So every day you can say, I screwed up. Well, I did too. Well, let's try again tomorrow. You need someone that's saying, I, I, I know I'm living this process by God's grace and I'm going to help push you. You know, it's like you don't go to the gym and pick a trainer that's, you know, 500 pounds. You know, you pick a trainer that is ripped and looks like, I, I think he knows what he's doing. I, I should probably talk to him. We, we don't think the same way spiritually when it comes to choosing accountability partners. Number six, stressing the whole relationship to Christ. <clears throat> this is so important because this process can seem kind of stale and mechanical if we forget Really, what we're talking about is growing in our love and likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, if you try to apply this process or even put off or new your mind put on, apart from the overarching and foundational desire to love Jesus more and to be more like him, you're going to fall flat on your face. Hey, you need him. You need his strength to do it. And, and that needs to be the goal. And so a lot of times in talking with, with men about these issues as we, we get into it and there's, there's maybe not a lot of progress, there's understanding of the process but not a lot of progress, I go back to this issue and say, let's just talk about your, your love for Christ. Do you, do you love him? Do you think about him throughout the day? Do you pray to him? Do you, do you long to read the word to know him more? Because that's what this is all about. Also, this idea of stressing the whole relationship to Christ is the idea that even when we're trying to kill a particular sin, we don't want to get so narrow-minded in our focus that our sanctification becomes all about my rise and fall in this one sin. Because inevitably, there's a whole host of sins that you're also dealing with. But what we can be tempted to do is say, I've been really good with this particular sin. I'm really growing. When actually, there's also this whole host of other yucky stuff that you're ignoring because you're so focused on this. Um, and so looking at, I don't just want to grow in, with, with Christ in this area, but I want to be on mission to kill sin in general in my life. I, want, I hate my anger just as much as I hate my lust. I hate my pride just as much as my selfishness. And so, so this is a, a battle plan to kill sin in general, not just that one particular sin. And then finally, number seven, practicing the new pattern. I think it's it's, it's tempting and it's, it's easy to, to hear this and see it laid out. And perhaps maybe this is new for some of you and you go home and you try it. And it's, it's like a child learning to ride their bike. You know, that they finally get a little bit of confidence. I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Boom, and they fall over, right? And they think, well, what if they just said, well, I'm just not gifted to ride bikes. You know, I'm, just, I'm never riding again. And I think some people do that in sanctification. They're trying, they're trying to make a little progress. Boom, it's like, they see, there I go. You know, this is just one other failed attempt at some other thing that I've tried. And, and the idea is, is no, this is, sanctification is, is a long run, right? And there, there, are, there are highs and lows, but it's, we often compare it to the stock market. If you look at the stock market over a long period of time, the starting point and ending point are, the end point usually is higher, but along that line, it can do this, right? And so there, there will be, uh, particularly if this is a long-standing pattern, there will be some challenges, there will be some, some battles, some fights, and even some, some stumbling. But practicing this new pattern over time 
habits change and we become more godly in our patterns. And so don't get discouraged as you begin to try this and it's difficult or it doesn't go quite the way you thought. Now, with all of that said, let me just sort of personalize it. And I'm not going to ask you to answer, but I do want you to answer in your mind. What are the sin struggles? If let, let's, let's think about lust. Are there any sin struggles in the area of lust that you are, are losing the battle in? Start there. And then beyond that, what are the other sin struggles that you're like, man, I just I find myself constantly or very often going back to, Lord, please forgive me for and saying the same thing over again. And what are the, sin, the, the t- uh, situations? When you think about that sin, what are the situations in which you're most tempted to give into that sin or that you fail most often? Mm-hmm. What verse are you currently going to to meditate to renew your mind with truth? Are you using the scripture that way? Have you, when's the last time you've even memorized a passage? This is why, by the way, we, we involve scripture memory in our small group process. It's not just for the sake of doing it because we should do it. It's to try to build and cultivate in our church this idea that I need the Scripture in my mind and heart, and I need to be not just memorizing it, but digesting it, meditating upon it, and using it in the battle with sin. And so that's why we keep bringing those verses, and Drew keeps sending out those things every week, because we we know that we need this. So what verses are you meditating on to uh, fight sin? What righteous actions will you take um, to, to, to put on instead of following the pattern that you've been following? Uh, or are you willing to tell someone else not only your struggle with this sin, but your plan that you've now put into place to say, here's how I've been failing, and here are the things I know I need to put on, and so here is how I'm going to attempt to do that. Please come alongside and hold me accountable. Um, that is a, a key part of that process. And then practice practice, practice, every day in and day out. Now, the, 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 uh, hopefully what you're picking up on from this, both in the passages that we went through and in Adam's sort of expansion of that, um, is that this plan, if you're going to be pure, needs to be intentional. It, it, the plan can't just be, I'm going to do better, right? I'm, I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be less angry. I'm going to be selfless. There has to be intentionality. And so begin to think ahead, again, to the situations that are most tempting with whatever the sin is, and have a plan for when that situation comes, here's what I'm going to do. You can't wait until you're in the situation and say, oh no, where do I go? You have to already know in these kinds of environments, I'm going to respond with this righteous action. So let me give you some examples that might be helpful in, in the realm of purity specifically. Let's say your wife's going out of town, and that has perhaps been a, a consistent source of temptation in the past whenever she goes out of town or you're going out of town, one or the other. Well, don't just kind of think, oh, no, she's going out of town. It's just it's going to be a struggle and yada, yada, yada. It, that, that's not making a plan, right? A, a plan is, okay, my wife's going out of town. I'm going to call my accountability partner. I'm going to tell them, FYI, I'm going to be home by myself for these three days. Uh, typically, that's been a struggle, and so here's how I'm going to fill my time. Here's what, here's what I'm going to be doing with my mind. Here's my, well, I'm, I'm going to be studying the Scripture. Here's my fighter, my memory verse. You know, if you, it'd be great if you just text me, check in every now and then, and, and I'll check in with you. I'll, I'll be, you know, what I do with guys, when, if they really have struggled, some guys travel, maybe they're a pilot or a salesman or whatever. If they, they've struggled, I said, okay, I want you to text me uh, when you wake up and before you go to bed. 
and just say all good, just or struggling, uh, and 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 that just having a plan. Now we're planning to win the battle. You see, not having a plan honestly is planning to fail. Uh, that's that's what you're doing um, by not being proactive. What about you're going to the beach? You have a beach vacation coming up. That that whether you regularly deal with lust as a sin or not, going to the beach is going to be a temptation. I don't care who you are um, to to look at women in an ungodly way. And so, what is your plan if you're going to go to the beach? What's your plan? If you're going to go to the pool. What is your plan um, to to win that? And I would encourage you. Uh, my wife and I went to the beach this last uh, summer in June, and so I said, "Here's my here's my meditation verse." And I told my wife, "This is the verse I'm going to be meditating on while we're at the at the beach, you know. And you're the only woman for me. You're the only one I want. And I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate on this verse, right? And so every time there was a temptation, boom, bring the verse, and not, not just bring the verse, but stay there and begin to pray through the truth of that verse." I'm telling you, it's an it's an amazing thing that have, that God has designed. It shouldn't be a surprise, but the, the, all of a sudden your mind is focused on spiritual things. And yeah, there's there's temptations that abound, but you're able to enjoy something in a good way, the beach, instead of just it being a a fleshly opportunity to lust. Um, what about if you struggle with with female joggers that come by and maybe they're not dressed appropriately or whatever it may be? just women not dressed appropriately in general, walking by, running by. Ha, ha, don't just say, man, that's, that's a struggle. I got to do better. You say, what, what am I going to do? Because I'm, I drive. I'm going to pass people. I'm going to go to the mall or whatever it is, and Victoria's Secret's going to be there, and it's going to have its posters or whatever. Like, this, this world is this world, and you're, you live in it, right? And I live in it. So what are we going to do when those come? And say, here's my plan for my mind and my eyes. When I see on the horizon that there's someone coming, my goal is, a personal goal that I have is just not to even know if it's a man or a woman. If, if I see it far enough, a person far enough out that it's just kind of blurry, my goal is to pass and not even know. And if, 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 if I can't do that because they're close enough, then the goal is my eyes go here. There's a person there, my eyes go here. And, and then when you're past them, they don't go into the rearview mirror, right? And so, I mean, uh, these are... I, I'm being specific with you because these are things we have to legitimately think about. And we build up these patterns of just stealing glances. We don't think about it. They, okay, I didn't look there, but oh, I looked there. I didn't look it. And, and we, we do these things almost instinctively because of the sinful habits that we've built up over years and years and years. And um, by the way, man, if you have kids, this is a side note, but don't, you know, it's, it's so tempting. We to see our kids and they just look so little in our eyes forever, right? Um, but you know when they're probably starting, I don't know, t- at least 10 and, and, and beyond, maybe even earlier for some of them, some of these things are starting to happen whether they're talking to you about them or not. And they're going to begin to form patterns either with or without your help, right? Some of you know the patterns that you are struggling with now, you know you were 11 when that pattern started, mm-hmm. Right? So don't be naive. I don't care if you homeschool or whatever, lock them in a room, whatever. When they are that age, they're having those same temptations. And so my advice to you is to come alongside and broach the subject and say, hey, son, I know that this is, this is a thing. It's a thing for dad. Let me, let me teach you how to form good habits and help save them, Lord willing. God has to do that work, but help save them from some of the 
things perhaps that you were exposed to mm-hmm. at those ages. It's not just about exposure because they're, they're going to see stuff. I mean, they're just going, they live in this world. They're going to see stuff. It's teaching them what to do when they see stuff and when they're presented with things. So that's a side note, but I think it, you can hope, Lord willing, we can help save them from developing some of the patterns that perhaps some of us developed in those younger years. Now, the key thing is having a battle. So those are some examples of how to do that. But I mean, be, be specific. Think about how am I going to renew my mind? And when I'm tempted, where are my eyes? Where's my mind and eyes going to go? Let me just say a quick word about pornography in particular. If you struggle with pornography, you need to understand that your battle with lust goes far deeper than just looking at pornography. And when I, when I talk to someone who's dealing with pornography, it's so easy just to get focused on the actual act of looking at something on a computer screen or whatever it may be. And, and the goal is to understand, look, by the time you look at something on a screen, you have lost the battle a long time before you ever got there. If, if you get to the point that you're willing to look something up on the internet and stare at it, you have already compromised somewhere way back here and made several little decisions that got you there. I mean, MacArthur says often when a man falls, he doesn't fall far. What he means by that is you were on the, the edge. You don't fall off a cliff when you're 100 miles from the nearest cliff, right? You fall off a cliff when you're walking on the edge of the cliff. And so you have made some compromises to get yourself in a position where you're even able to trip and fall over the cliff. And so if pornography in particular is a battle for you, then what I would encourage you to do as you apply this process is don't just apply it to the actual act of looking at pornography. Apply it way back to where am I stealing glances at ladies? Where where am I allowing fantasies and, and sinful thoughts to dwell in my mind? You know, where am I harboring sins like selfishness? Pornography is a very selfish sin. It grows out of our selfishness, our desire to please self, to do what we want. Uh, a lot of guys use it like a comforting thing. When life doesn't go well, they find themselves there. And ironically, when life goes really well, they find themselves there because selfishness and pride are the avenues and gateways to that sin and our selfishness and our pride is stoked when things are really bad and it's sort of woe is me and when things are really good when it's look at me and so be careful and understand that those sins are also need to be on need to also be on the list of what you're killing if you're dealing with pornography look for selfishness and look for sin another thing with pornography is what i call the selfish fog <clears throat> when you when you get in this pity party woe is me yada, 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 Um, there's this mental fog that guys will describe, and it's a real thing where really you're just kind of numb, and you're just sort of going through the motions, and whatever, and I'll eat whatever, whatever makes me feel good, and I'll do this because it makes me feel good. I'm going to watch that because it makes me feel good. I'm going to yada, yada, yada. You get in this fog. Be careful and be very aware of the mental fog. You want to be sharp. And, you, and when you start to feel that sort of I don't, apathy and I don't really care, right then, you've got to put that to death. Get in the Word. Get out of the house. Take a walk. Whatever, Do whatever you've got to do to jumpstart your brain to get back and be active in the war. Because there is no neutral in the Christian life. There's just going backwards or going forwards. So be very careful as you deal with those things. And here's what starts to happen, guys. 
uh, and I'm telling you this, some of you, hopefully, hopefully none of you deal with pornography, but, but if you do, uh, if you don't, uh, you will meet someone who does, okay? And so it, it, you can either apply these things to yourself or it helps someone else, but this is really important. When you're dealing with pornography, start fighting those battles at the very first opportunity with the initial thoughts that you have, with the initial glances that you have. And here's what happens. When you start to fight the battle with sexual sin at the level of not looking at a jogger coming by or not allowing a thought to have even a foothold for a moment, all of a sudden you realize, hey, I haven't really thought about looking at pornography in a, in a week, in a month, in, in, and it turns into in a year, in 10 years. Because I, I'm not ever letting myself go near the edge. I'm 100 miles from the cliff. I'm fighting way back here and winning. And what has to happen is you've got to get just as sensitive to those smaller sins, if you will, of stealing a glance. That has to prick and hurt your heart just as much as pulling up an image on a screen. You've got to get to the point where you become sensitive because you, when, you, when you begin to look at pornography, particularly for a long period of time, over a number of years or months, you build up these calluses spiritually where you don't even notice the fact that you're constantly stealing glances and dwelling on things because you're, you're, you're just equating it to, well, I didn't look at porn today, so I did really good. And when you start to kill that sin at those smaller levels, that sensitivity, the Holy Spirit begins to bring that sensitivity back where it's like, oh, I, I harbored a thought for five seconds. God, forgive me for that. I, I stole a quick glance. God, forgive me. And here's what I'm going to do next time. But you see how now we're, we're winning the battle way back here. Mm. And so those, those things are really important for us to keep in mind. You know, I have a dream for our church, a, a desire that, that eventually, over, over years, it will become very natural really for everyone in the church, but especially the men in our church, to be able to say to one another, hey, what, what's, your mem- what's your meditation verse today? And that to be a normal thing. Say, oh, John 14, 21, what's yours? As you know, it's Matthew 5, 38. Good. Let's, you know, uh, uh, you know text me tonight. Let's say it together, whatever. I mean, just to get in this routine that we don't go into the day without a verse to fight with. But what I... I don't do this every single day. I seek to do this every single day. And if, if I forget, I, as soon as I remember, I do it. But before I leave my time in the morning, I choose a verse. I review verses that I'm memorizing. And I choose one in particular that's going to be my meditation verse for the day. And that's my battle verse, right? It takes, guys, it takes maybe 30 seconds to review it. I mean, this is not, this is not big stuff, okay? Review it and then <clears throat> review it again at lunch. Review it again before dinner and review it every time you're tempted towards sin. Just bring it up. John 14, 21, um, which is one of our small group verses. So that's the one I've been using lately. But he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then it goes on from there. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Mm. Now, you take that truth and here comes a temptation. Boom, when I pull that, he who has my commands and keeps me is the one who loves me. God, I want to be one who really loves you. Help me, God, to keep your help me to keep your commands. And thank you, God, that you promise for those who love you, they will be loved by the Father and by the Son. God, I want, I want that. Help me. You see how now my mind is nowhere near sexual thoughts. It's on the truth. And here's what's really cool about that. When you do that, 
Now, the same temptations that used to always lead you into a pit of sin, the exact same temptations become a springboard for sanctification because you're jumping to truth instead of sin. Nothing has changed about your circumstance. Nothing has changed about the sinful world you walk and live in every day. But what has changed is how you respond to those things and you turn to Christ instead of turning to sin. And so maybe we can start that even just in this group of, hey, what's your meditation verse? Ah, I didn't get one today. Let me get one right now. You know, thanks for reminding me. Or it's this. But getting in that habit of we're filling our mind with the truth and we're walking in the truth. All right. This is the last directive. Directive number three, walk with wisdom. Walk with wisdom. And what I did here um, is I just pulled together some, some things that I think are important in just years of doing counseling and battling sin in my own heart and talking about these issues that I want to make sure that I impart to you as we close out this series. Um, and so the, the first point of wisdom is wisdom regarding temptation. Wisdom regarding temptation. Um, many times Christians spend their days weighed down by conviction because they were tempted all day long. You guys ever feel just like bombarded by temptation? Anybody? Or is that just me? Okay. You know, some, some days it's just like, man, I don't, and just different sins. Like just temptation towards anger. Just, man, I was just short today. Short with everybody. Nobody could do it right. Nobody could do it fast enough. What is going on in my heart? I was just tempted with lust today. I was tempted with this pride today. Whatever it was. And some Christians get weighed down simply by the fact that temptations are constantly coming and they attach their, their perception of their growth and sanctification based on the frequency with which they're tempted. That's a real problem. That's a problem because nowhere in the scripture does it say we're going to be tempted less in this life. That's what heaven is. That's what it's like when righteousness rules, when the king sits on the throne, when the king Christ sits on the throne and sin is no more. That's what we're all looking for. But what's going to happen in this life is every day, day in and day out, you're going to be tempted. And so if you tie your sanctification and your thought of, the pro of your progress based on how often you're tempted, whew, you're going to be discouraged, right? Sin is what you do when you're tempted. So I've had guys come into my office that are just in, in a puddle of tears, just I, I just, I can't seem to grow. Lust has just such, it's got such a hold on my life. And it's, brother, let me, let's talk about it. What's going on? What's happening? It's, like, well, just these, it's just these, I just I feel this temptation just all day long. Well, brother, what do you do when that temptation comes? Well, you know, I, I turn my mind to, to Scripture and, you know, I do this and that and the other. And I start, I start to realize, actually, they're winning the battle with purity. Like they are, they're fighting and winning but what they've gotten confused on is the fact that it keep, they're like, well, why does it keep coming then? Because we live in a sinful world and we have a flesh. It's going to keep coming. It's what are you doing when it comes? And so if you've struggled with that, um, get that right in your mind that you're going to have, because of our sinful uh, flesh, sometimes thoughts may go boom in your mind that you didn't solicit, that you did not desire, that you did not want, that you don't even find attractive, that just boom, they come in your mind. At that very moment, you put that to death, right? And put on the truth. That's what yes. just kind of comes to mind with me was when you're trying to walk in the spirit and, and like say, you know, do a better job. And <clears throat> to me, it seems like sometimes you're more bombarded then mm -hmm. because you're really trying to do right. Yeah. And you're just this more dropping on you. And it's like, you know, why, why won't this stop? So I know what you mean. It seems like when we're trying to, you know, walk with the Lord is when we're going to be bombed even more. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so and there are there are seasons. I can't explain that exactly how that works. There are seasons where certain temptations come in stronger waves, where it just seems like good night today has just been a constant bombardment, and other days not so much. Um, but I think also what goes with that is once you become aware of the issue and you really start to fight, it may not be that there are more temptations. It's just now you're way more sensitive to it yeah, because saying, now yeah. you're battling it. Mm-hmm. Where the truth is, some this is just the truth. Our, sometimes we built up such <laughs> patterns of sinful habits that they don't even hit our yeah. radar anymore. Yeah. We just do them. And then when we start to try to stop, we say, oh, wow. That's when it comes to a I, We start to see that. Yeah. So that, that it can be... Both of those things. Yes. What you mentioned about you're going to keep getting tempted when we try to say, oh, I don't want to be tempted. It's a frequency. But what has kind of helped me, you know the scripture's true, and I don't know it's not good conversation, but uh, Corinthians 10, 13, God will uh-huh. give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. And if you know that and believe that, then you can basically work through that because, hey, he's giving it out. I have to find that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think I would phrase it just a little bit differently. I wouldn't say God wouldn't give us more than we can handle, but God will never give us more than he is able to strengthen us to walk through. Because sometimes he gives us things and, and it's way beyond our capacity, but it's not beyond his capacity, right? Uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, so I, but absolutely, there's no temptation that sees you except what's common to man. Well, not me, but right. God can <clears throat> Yeah, he gives me an out from him. Exactly, there is always an opportunity by God's grace to to flee from that sin and to win the battle, and that's a, that's a wonderful verse to remind ourselves of. Absolutely, um, just a couple other things. Uh, that was wisdom regarding temptation. I want to talk about wisdom regarding scripture memory. Uh, now, I just promoted scripture memory heavily, and I and I will often. I also want to give you sort of the the raw warn you of the wrong way to think about scripture memory. Some guys, when I start to talk about renewing your mind and memorizing scripture, they get confused and they start to memorize scripture uh, and even maybe quote it when they're struggling with sin, but it doesn't, they come back and say, ah, it just didn't work for me. You know, it just didn't work. And what, what's happening is they're getting confused and thinking that what I'm saying is just quote the scripture and it's like, hocus pocus but everything goes away right and that, that that's that's not what i'm saying i'm saying like the psalmist says i i long for your word you know more than gold and silver it's more valuable it's like honey to my lips to read your word the idea is that i am saturating my mind with truth and i'm focus, i'm forcing my mind to dwell on truth until the temptation subsides however long that takes and when I, suddenly I realize my mind is truly focused on truth, the temptation is gone, then I continue on with whatever it was that I was trying to accomplish until the next temptation comes and boom. But it, it, is, it is about meditating and, and getting the richness out of that scripture, not just like a rabbit's foot, pull it out and rub it and it, it went away, right? So we, we, have, we fall into some of those things in our thinking. We have to be careful there. Um, wisdom regarding accountability. Um, I, I mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but accountability is wonderful. It's a tool. It is something I, I encourage you to be in fellowship with another godly man. Um, our wife is a source of accountability, uh, just naturally <clears throat> built in, and we should have an honest relationship with our wives in this, this area. But more, even in addition to that, I would encourage you to have a godly man uh, that you are being honest with and that's holding you accountable, because especially when it comes to, to sexual sin, um, 
our wives are a, a huge source of accountability and help in that, and they should be. Um, but most of the time, not, not always, but the, the truth is God has wired men and women very differently. And so we struggle with this sin in different ways. And it's helpful to have a man that is going to be a little more perceptive to your answers, to call you out on things and say, now, now wait a minute, you, you said this. Were you, what did you do there? You know, were, the, were they going to quiz you on some of those things because they know what, how a man thinks and, and can really help hold your feet to the fire? That's important. But also, when you ask someone for accountability, don't think of it like you're, you're putting it all on them and now it's their job to always call you and always check in on you and always pick you up and drag you along. That's not what accountability is. Accountability is saying, hey man, here's my struggle. So I'm to be honest with you. Here's how I'm fighting it. Will you come alongside? Could I, could I call you every now and then? Could I, could I text you when I'm struggling? And every now and then, would you check on me? Yes, absolutely. That's what accountability, accountability is you taking the responsibility to involve them in your life. It's not, you're not saying, hey, come fix me and, and just drag me along, right? But that I'm going to be proactive in letting you know how I'm doing. And if you could also check in on me, that'd be great. So those are some things to be thinking about with accountability. And then finally, this is the last thing, but wisdom regarding marriage. Wisdom regarding marriage. Um, first of all, I want to talk about singleness. And I'm not sure if we have any single men here this morning, but maybe some. Ooh. Oh, we got one. Hey, boom. I'm going to talk about singleness because I, uh, some will listen that are also single. And I think it's helpful for us in helping men that are in singleness to think about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that, that marriage is, is good and those who are, are struggling with sexual sin, burning, if you will, should get married. That, that marriage is given to us as a gift by God for a lot of things, um, not just this, but one of the gifts is uh, sexuality. God's designed marriage that way and it's good and it's a gift from God to be enjoyed and it is a huge source of accountability and help uh, in the battle with sexual sin. And so I would say to any young man, don't buy into the worldly lie that you just need to wait around, have your fun. You know, don't, don't rush to get married. You're young, you know, you know, travel and do your thing, spend your money how you want to do it, and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, later, you know, when you're older, settle down and get married. Man, get married. Not just to anybody. We marry a godly woman who loves the Lord, but find her, be on, be on the look for her, and marry her. And, and get going with, with life. But don't buy into the world's lie that you just need to live your life and then get married later on down the road. But with that admonition, I also want to give this caution. Marriage is not the end-all, be-all solution to sexual sin. Can any married men attest to that? Um, did, this, did the temptation to lust just magically disappear when you got married? Unfortunately, no, it does not. Um, there, there can be this sense for single men that that's the finish line. If I could just, when I get married, it'll be over, right? Mm -hmm. This whole battle, it'll be over. I remember a, a, a pastor friend told me a story once of a, a friend of his who was a college pastor at a, at a very like-minded church and a college student came in and, uh, for counseling and just asked him, he said, what's it like to be able to have sex whenever you want to? <laughs> and the, the, guy, the guy said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Solomon. I mean, I, you know, I, have, I have no idea. And, he, and even Solomon, what did he say about it? 
It's vanity. It's vanity. The one man that we could probably honestly say could have sex whenever he wanted to said vanity. <laughs> vanity. And so don't pin your hopes for your winning sec- the battle with sexual sin on getting married. What actually happens is if you don't commit to killing your sin as a single man, you bring in a wife and you begin to sin against her over and over again. And you put this wedge between you that actually puts a huge strain on your sexual relationship. And so now you not only have sexual sin uh, personally, but now there is this distance where even the sexual relationship doesn't function like it should because you're constantly sinning against your wife. Mm-hmm. You've got to be diligent to kill the battle of sexual sin now and do not drag that poor woman into your struggle. And if, the, if that is too late and you're already married and you're still struggling with it, kill it today. Today men. Uh, Do not sin against her or the Lord in that way any further. And so take that very, very seriously. Now, married men, I'll close with this. Um, Part of putting on righteousness for us in the area of sexuality is not only negatively killing any sense of temptation towards sexuality outside of marriage, but pursuing a biblical, healthy relationship with our wives. On every front, and not just sexually, certainly sexually, but on every front. Love that woman. You help fight the battle with sin positively. Part of putting on righteousness is selflessly serving her, selflessly caring for her, praying with her and for her, helping her in in, in ways that you can. And when it comes to sexuality, pursuing her in a way that shows the selfless, patient, humble love of Christ and not a selfish, self-gratifying way. A lot of men think that they have have put pornography to death and the effects of it because they're no longer looking at porn, but instead what they've done is they've exchanged it for pressuring their wives to do things in a way that she does not feel comfortable, and when she does it, making her feel guilty as if something's wrong with her, when in fact it's the man who has set these expectations in his mind that he's built off of worldly ideas of sexuality. Man, that's sinful, and it's wrong. We need to be humble, patient, and selfless towards our wives on every front, including sexuality. But, but let's not forget that sexuality in marriage is a gift, and it's meant to be pursued. It's meant to be pursued in the right way. And when we do it in the right way, it does become the help and the aid that God intends for it to be in the battle with sexual sin in the world. So I, I would leave you with just those tidbits of wisdom. Um, I'll, I'll stay around and open it for questions, but it's seven. So let me pray because I know some guys have to jet to work. And then if you have questions, just hang around and we'll, we'll continue to chat. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, as we think about the, the truth of Scripture, uh, the resources that you give us, when you not only bring us to salvation, but then... You, you fill us with the Spirit. You give us your Word. Uh, you continue to sanctify us and give us even the desire and the strength to obey you. Lord, you're so good to us. Help us uh, to, to be serious about sin of all kinds, just to, to attack sin on every front, but especially in the world in which we live and the sinful flesh that we still have. Help us to fight for sexual purity, to be men who are setting our minds on truth, Uh, who are unwilling to give sin a foothold, even in the smallest of ways. And God, help us with this. Uh, Bless the the efforts, however feeble they may be, that we give 
and strengthen us for the task and help it to bear much fruit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.